You're too much. You're not enough. That's not very ladylike. You're too aggressive for a woman. You don't conduct yourself like a lady. Are you trying to be a man? Women can't lead because they're weak and emotional. These questions are just a snippet of what we're subjected to from when we're young girls all the way into adulthood, and they often play a leading role in determining how we see ourselves, what we think we want for ourselves, and how we show up in the world, in our relationships with ourselves, and our relationships with others. They also influence how others treat us and what they expect us to tolerate, and what they feel they're entitled to take from us. Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sikhle Bolani. For today's conversation, I'm joined by Ekene Onu, a mindset and transformation coach and feminine power expert. After almost two decades as a pharmacist, Ekene reinvented herself and went through her own personal revolution, reclaiming her feminine power and choosing to create a life based on passion and purpose. She's the chief principal of Refresh with Ekene LLC, a boutique coaching and consulting company, and she's also the founder of Iconic Woman Mastermind. She leads workshops and retreats around the world and has been featured on magazines and television in the US and Nigeria. She is a certified professional coach, change leadership and organizational cult consulting expert, and a social and emotional intelligence coach. Ekene, welcome to the Workplace Revolution. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure it is. Now, pharmacy to being (laughs) a coach is a huge jump. I mean, yes, they all are a part of healing. So technically, you're in the same space. But would you just talk us through your journey and how you worked your way into being in the space that you're in now? Yeah, absolutely. It is a bit of a leap, right? And so my resume is very non-traditional. So uh, I did, how did I even get started? I did what every good African girl did, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a daughter of uh, two Nigerians. And I remember when I was in college, I didn't actually want to study pharmacy. I wanted to do liberal arts, creative writing, something very, you know, airy fairy. And uh, mm-hmm. my mother was like, "Let me just tell you something. Eh? If you want to remain my child, you have a couple of options. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer, or you can be a pharmacist. These are the options." And um, I was that kid that did what she was told. I was mm-hmm. an obliger. I was a rule follower, and so I did. I did that. I went to pharmacy school. I first started in engineering, actually. I lasted about a semester. And then I knew I had to do something different, and I switched to pharmacy. And, um, and you know, I went in from day one saying, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Mm. Right from the first day, graduated pharmacy school and started working. And I thought, I just work for a few years, and then I will bank some money and then go find myself and figure out the life I want. Mm. Well, a few years turned into 17 years. And during that time, I ticked other boxes and followed other rules, Mm. right? So I got married, I had a child, I bought a home. All the things that I was told, if you just do these things, you'll be happy. Yeah. If you just do these things, you'll feel good. And I was doing the things right on paper it looked really good i 
had all the things. I, I had a six-figure salary. But deep down inside, I had I felt deeply unfulfilled, mm. felt unhappy. I felt even shame, you know, a number mm. of different emotions were swir- swirling around inside of me. Now, while that was happening, I was also beginning to learn about the self-help industry and and, you know at first it was my own needs like hmm this is interesting what is going on here what do i need maybe this can help me and and started exploring reading books and so on and so forth Uh, coaching was very new at the time you know it was you know very i don't know what the word is but um it it was like a a niche space very uh, alternative you know what is coaching no one really knew now it's very mainstream. Mm. So I was exploring it at the time, thinking about it. Hmm, I don't know what this is. And really trying to do my own work, realizing that I was in a place of, of deep. I was unfulfilled and I was in a, I was in a, a place where I could fall off the cliff. Mm. In fact, I was manifesting my pain. And I say I'm actually one of the lucky ones because I was manifesting my pain because I was an emotional eater, Mm. still am. And so I was wearing my pain on my body. Mm. I had gained so much weight. I'd always been a curvy girl. I still am, right? Always had been, grew up like that. I think I was born with hips. But Mm -hmm. um, I had gone to the place where I was over 300 pounds. Mm. And so my body was a deep reflection. And this is not maybe not the case for everybody, right? Mm. So I'm just speaking about my story. Mm. It was a reflection of uh, my unhappiness and, and I had created a cocoon around myself. So my true self was deeply hidden and I was deeply unhappy. And so one day, you know, there's a, a great quote that I often share. It's by Anainin and it said, and the day came that the pain to remain in the bud was more than the pain that it took to blossom. Mm. See, for me, there was a lot of pain. And I think a lot of people, uh, maybe your listeners can relate to this, in that in order for me to live the life that I had started to become aware that I desired, I would have to break some rules. I would have to disappoint some people. Mm. I would have to go against the grain, especially for me. Nigerian, West African immigrant in America, you know, I wasn't, I didn't come from that kind of background where, you know, you just kind of find yourself and go off into the, you know, it Mm. doesn't work that way. And and in particular, I'm from the Igbo uh, ethnic group, and we are very, Igbo women in particular, often very rule followers, right? We do the right things. There's a saying we say on our bumbo in our languages and you know she's she's solid, she's dependable, she mm. she makes things happen, she does that. So that was the way I was trained. And so I had to get to that place of deep pain. I realized that if I continued this way, there's a saying uh, here in the South, African-Americans say, it says, you know, something's got to give and ain't finna be me, mm-hmm. right? I had to come to that place where something has to give. And I decided at that point that I was going to take a leave of absence from work. I needed to find myself, so to speak. And so I took a leave of absence from work. It was about first six weeks, and then I extended it to 12. And in that time, 
I simply wanted to reclaim myself. I didn't actually know what I wanted. I just knew that I needed to find myself. I was in a lot of emotional pain as well. There were a number of things that were happening in my life. Kind of, you know, it was a crisis moment. There were a lot of things that were dissatisfying. So I was forced to take a good, long, hard look. And there were a lot of tears, of course. It was what I have now come to understand is referred to as the dark night of the soul. You know, we have some of these experience, experiences that drive us to our truth. Mm. And so during that season, I would just walk and I would read and I would journal and I would do all of this introspection work. And I started to really explore. Now, actually, there's something I missed in telling before I left. Before I left, there were some things that were happening because, you know, Rumi says, what you're seeking is seeking you. Mm. There was this... Uh, season when people were coming to the pharmacy and they were coming to talk to me so there was a particular woman that started this so to speak she came to the pharmacy and she was so beautiful so well put together professional looking woman and she asked me for some help she wanted a recommendation for a pill to help her sleep mm. and then i asked her well tell me what's going on why do you think you're not sleeping and i asked it from a clinical perspective because mm. i wanted to know what to offer her and she started to cry right in the middle of the pharmacy started crying and so i took her to the side and started to have a conversation with her and she was just telling me all the things she was going through and i listened and i supported her i held space for her and at the end of it i told her you know you need to get help you need to get some support and we started you know i just offered some solutions and then she started coming back to the pharmacy later and i'm like do you need more medicine she's like no i just want to talk i just want to talk <laughs> and so that was beginning to happen as well so my purpose was beginning to reveal itself while i was also being driven to a place of transformation in myself mm. and you know it's interesting for the people who are listening often purpose and pain come together mm. the pain forces you to do the work so you can increase in capacity to carry the gift that god has given to you mm. and so i had a natural gift and i had to open up to be able to let it flow through me once i had done that work and started the point of transition i then stepped into refresh right and i held my first conference I started to support women and then I decided to start investing in mastery as a coach and started getting various certifications, went back to school, uh, did organizational change leadership and just kept training so that I could really hold space for women at a high level. So initially I was really working more as a life coach, mm. helping women get unstuck, really following the template for myself. But as I gained in mastery, I started working with uh, different women, women who were leaders, women, executive women. I started doing more executive coaching and started understanding some of the desires that they had and some of the challenges that they, they had. And these were women who really were, they had accomplished things. They were at a place of success, but their desire was now for significance and how to do it in a way that didn't sacrifice their womanhood. And so that is the evolution from the pharmacist to the refresh with a cane, which is my company name, but the brand is now called Iconic Womanhood because it really is helping women step into themselves fully, understand who they are, reclaim their womanhood, reclaim their leadership, 
right? Because, you know, unfortunately now there's a lot of mention around femininity that seems to exclude power and leadership, which I don't think that's the intention of God. I think that we are meant to be leaders as well. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be able to support women in the whole womanhood piece both Mm -hmm. their femininity their womanhood but also the call to rise into purpose and into leadership and so the word icon for me really means a woman who is inspired and inspirational who is courageous and confident who knows and leverages what makes her original and who understands that she is very necessary Mm -hmm. and that's what i work with women on now Mm, mm, I love that. Now, a lot of people, you know, recently and and more so now speak a lot about purpose, finding your purpose, identifying your purpose, following your purpose. Um, And, you know, for so many people, you know, the question is, what is my purpose? You know, so it seems like this very kind of up in the air, airy fairy thing that people can't quite figure out how to get to the bottom of or how to figure it out, how to articulate it. Um, and there's a, a powerful quote that you shared in one of your Instagram lives, um, a quote from Miles Monroe, uh, where he said, the purpose that is not understood is bound to be abused. Absolutely. How yeah. did that play itself out in your life as you were on your journey? Wow, that's a big question. Huh? <laughs> I think for me, that was my early life, right? Because my purpose, I mean, if you think about it, the work I do now, I look, some days I look up and I, I just, even this morning when I was getting dressed, I was doing my morning dance, right? Mm. And I just was thinking about how good things have become and how grateful I am Mm. to have work that is so meaningful and profitable at the same time, because Mm. let's be real, all of these things matter. Um, And, and really to feel like I am in my, the right life. I have the right life now. Now that's not to say it's perfect. And that's not to say there haven't been things that have been difficult, but I feel that I am walking on the path I'm meant to walk right now. And there's so much comfort that comes with that. Mm. The woman I was before, I had all these gifts, right? Mm. But they weren't valuable. In fact, sometimes they were uh, frustrating to the wrong people, you Mm. know? And, you know, you start to feel caged. You start to feel caged. Not all women feel caged. And what we often are told to do is to gild our cages, right? Just make it more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just put more stuff in it, buy more stuff. And, um, but it doesn't take away the feeling of being caged. Mm-hmm. I remember I've always had a, a gift of writing, of speaking, of supporting. All of these things have always manifested. Even when I was very young, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people who end up being speakers and who end up being leaders and who end up being voices, when they're young, you hear, uh, 
the feedback they often get, and I got this in my report card, almost every report card said she talks too much. Yes. She talks too much, right? Because that is that purpose is showing up, but the, the formal education system that we have, particularly in many parts of Africa, is so rigid, it doesn't actually leave room for uh, for those kinds of expressions of mm. purpose. Because now we're beginning to understand, I mean, I'm a mom of girls, one of my daughters as a teenager and there are things that I see that are gifts and I know how to say oh wow okay let's channel this let's think about how we can start to build out that gift because I'm not trying to shut it down and so many of us shut down the things about us that God has placed inside of us to help us do what he's called us to do but it doesn't fit in the world that we have been taught to live in because the world that we've been taught to live in is really a world that, you know, most of them are capitalist systems, right? And those systems are not designed for self-actualization. Mm. Those systems are designed for you to fit into a slot. So I want you to fit into a pharmacist slot mm. and just work, work, work. And when you're done, we're just going to get you out and fit somebody else into that slot. Yeah. I mean, I literally saw that happen. I remember working as a pharmacist. I think this was my third, second or third year working. And the pharmacy kind of like closest to me, he died. The pharmacist died at work. Oh. Do you know they didn't shut down for longer than 30 minutes? Long enough to get his body out of oh, the pharmacy. And found someone else, opened that baby up and kept him moving. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this life is for you. No one else is going to care about it if you don't care about it. And I think even then I started to think differently, right? So purpose, I think, is so important for people. And, and to your point, I think so many of us have this idea around purpose that is challenging. We almost feel as if there's going to be this moment, like a lightning bolt, mm -hmm. ah, here is your purpose. Mm -hmm. right? And it's and Hollywood often, like all of these movies, give us this idea that, that this idea of purpose and meaning should just, wow. Now there's some people that I do believe, literally it happens like that, but mm -hmm. majority of people it doesn't, it didn't happen like that for me. What I teach when I teach about purpose is that it's more about a path of purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't start out knowing, oh, I'm meant to help iconic women and help them go from success to significance. I didn't. I started out looking at myself and finding what is me? What is the purpose for me, right? Who am I? That's the first piece. And then as you begin to do that work of looking at yourself, then you're thinking, oh, what, what do I feel most drawn to? You know, so when I did my work, like those 12 weeks of just healing myself and, and walking and, and, and doing the introspection, I came out of that saying, other women need this. In fact, that was how my business name was born because people would see me and say, ah, what happened to you? You look so different. You look so refreshed. It happened so many times mm. that I took the word refresh, right? And I said, women, other women need refreshing. Mm. That was the first kind of step on my path of purpose. Mm. I didn't know where it was going to go. I just knew, oh, there's a step. Let me take that step. And then I followed the next step and the next step. And I, I really do believe that purpose requires faith. Mm. When you take a step in the direction of purpose, what you have to understand as you build up your faith is that God himself lays the road ahead of you. Mm. And so 
we need to free ourselves from this idea that we must understand everything because purpose has various seasons and various manifestations. So my purpose is expressed in other things. I'm a writer, I'm a novelist, right? I have nonfiction and fiction, but in my fiction books, when you read it, people write me after they read the fiction books, they mm. cry, they talk about how it made them look at their lives because that is purpose expressing itself through a little juicy novel. So it has various expressions, various manifestations and various seasons. What you're doing in your thirties as an expression of purpose may not be what God will have you do in your fifties because your life might look different right and so i really do believe god is good god is love and so the way and this is intelligent design the design is meant for you to prosper mm. and so if you tap into it follow the little nuggets you will find the right path for you but very often most of us are waiting we want to get i want someone to give me the full blueprint even when you get a blueprint guess what? It's going to change. So this piece about purpose, we need to give ourselves a little bit of peace saying, I can get a piece of it and I'll have peace with the piece of it. And I'll take that step in the direction of it. And it will begin to reveal itself more and more and more. And as you take more steps, you become more confident and more clear. You have more understanding mm -hmm. of the terrain. And so then you get really, oh, yeah, okay, I know what I'm here to do right now. And I know you become more seasoned and more of a master of it. Mm -hmm. I love the way you've articulated that. One of the other things that often comes up when we have conversations about purpose and I pick this up a lot when I have conversations with people where the assumption is that once you have kind of discovered what your 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 purpose is or what it what you think it is that somehow you know acknowledging that and deciding okay this is the the journey that I'm going to take in order to fulfill this purpose life is going to be easy peasy and so breezy <laughs> because I'm in my purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, true. true. And I mean, I've been on my own journey and I often have to say to people that, you know, I find that it's actually more challenging walking mm -hmm. in your purpose because that journey is oftentimes excruciatingly painful because it stretches you in ways you could have never imagined. It forces you to shed things that you have literally lived with for years, if not your whole life. Things that are what you think are the only thing you know and the only thing that you have kind of kept yourself safe with. Even if that means that that safety came with a blanket of thorns, that's what mm. you know, and so you made it your home. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, Absolutely. right? Um, mm. And so it's a, the, the, on the other side, you know, you have, and this also ties back to what you were speaking about around this identity of femininity that has, you know, been reinforced. Um, for women, from for, for young girls in, in terms of our homes, our communities, and even, you know, in the, the entertainment and the movies that we watch, that femininity means being soft, it means being docile, it means being everything to everyone but yourself because you 
don't want to be seen as selfish and constantly living a life of being in service to others and never to yourself and so oftentimes i see that when people choose to live a life of purpose that they often then struggle with or they have this conflict that that that, that exists between the expression of that purpose and making a living through the gifts that are part of that purpose how have you managed to navigate the journey of monetizing your purpose? Mm, that's a good one and an important conversation. So to the first, I'd love to like sort of speak about the first piece that you talked about mm. where people have this concept that, oh, once you follow, because and people do, uh, you know, say follow your bliss right mm. things that like that kind of language and that's why people think that once you step into purpose it's going to be this easy breezy life i think it's so important to recognize that pain is part of the journey mm. and pain is necessary pain has purpose you know um and i'm going to talk about monetizing in a second but you know i think having this conversation about pain and discomfort will help people understand some of the things that are necessary for actually being profitable mm. so one of the i had a, an experience that gave me a big aha around pain and purpose and why it's needed and and why we should not run from difficulties and run from uh, things that cause us uh, discomfort and sadness and actually make room for it and in fact today i posted something on my instagram uh, one of my favorite quotes from rumi that says the wound is where the light enters you mm. you know i had a friend who went through um, breast cancer she's a survivor by god's grace and um but i remember when she was diagnosed and she was going through her treatment it was just incredible, you know, her strength, because it was, she had to go through so much, obviously, right? Mm. Um, she had a double mastectomy. Mm. She had to go through chemo and radiation. Uh, but then um, she also had to do reconstructive surgery. We were quite young at the time when this was happening, um, and she opted for reconstructive surgery. And I remember visiting her one day, and um, she was in a lot of pain. And I asked her, you know, I'm sorry, you're in pain. Is it the chemo? What, you know, c can I do something? And she said, no, there's nothing I can do. I just take these pain medications. It's the expanders that I have. And I was like, what are the expanders? And she explained to me that before the reconstructive surgery could be done, they had taken out the, the uh, breast tissue that had cancer right mm. and they had now um so now they had put something in the skin to expand it to make room mm. for what was going to go in to reconstruct right mm. and i remember thinking about that over and over throughout the years i've thought about this as many years ago now that that sometimes is how it is like you said, many of us have created these lives that have come out of our wounding and out of our programming that is not what God intended for us. Mm. And in a way, we kind of have tumors. In a way, we have things. We've learned to live with them, right? Mm. We, we continue to move around with them. But if care isn't taken, if we don't get them out, we will not be able to fulfill purpose for sure. But not only that, in many ways, they kill us. Mm. A lot of people are walking around, they're walking, living, but they're not living. Mm. You know what I mean? 
And so the tumor has to come out. That itself is painful. And then when God needs to expand you, because in order for you to carry what you're meant to carry, you need to grow in capacity. Mm. Expansion can sometimes be painful. Just like when a muscle is being built up, mm-hmm. you have to lift the heavier weights and it's through the pain, it's through the stress of the muscles that the muscle fibers grow. Mm. And so when we create a situation for ourselves where we run from anything that expands us, then we are never big enough to carry what God has us to carry. Mm. And so this idea that discomfort and difficulty is bad, you need to shift out of it. Now, not all discomfort and difficulty is what we're meant to have. Oh, that's where discernment, and this is this, for me, I'm a, very, I'm a woman of faith and I teach a very practical piece of it. That's where mastery comes in. That's where being spirit-led comes in. So you begin to be able to discern what is what. Mm. Because if you're going through struggle because you're in a toxic relationship, that's not necessarily expanding you. It might actually be contracting you. Mm. So you have to be able to discern the difference. So now that we've talked about that, let's talk about monetization. I find that for many women, like you said, there are the challenges based on the way femininity has been taught. That we have been taught to be subservient. We have taught to, you know, been taught to say, please pick me. Mm. Women are taught to be chosen and never to choose. We are taught to sit behind and never stand forward. But that, to me, even in Christendom, that's often taught. But it's not what I have come to see. Even, you know, when I read all the books, right? When I look at history. Because we have a higher calling to God first. Mm. And so when I do what I'm called to do, to be a sitting on a hill, a lamp that cannot be hidden, when I do that, I'm answering the God call of my life. I cannot say because of the man desire, and I mean man as in mankind, Mm. society, because your desire is for me to stay small, that I will not answer the call upon my life to step fully into the quote unquote bigness that I have. Mm. If I have a voice, I must use it. I have a higher call. And so the first thing about monetization is first fully embodying all that you're called to be. And this is whether you are in the workplace, in the in a, in corporate, or you're running your own business. You have to be willing to fully embody all that you're called to be. And what does that mean? You have to think about sustainability. One of the big challenges about monetization is being willing to ask for compensation. Mm. Whether you are working for a company or you are setting your prices. Because you are so afraid of rejection. You're so afraid of people thinking you're money-focused. Money is a resource. Money answers all things. It's a resource. And so if you do not pay attention to it, then you will not be sustainable. Mm. If you don't pay attention to it in the workplace, you will not be sustainable. Not only will you not be sustainable, you will not have the influence and impact you're meant to have. Mm. You're in the palace for such a time as this. You're meant to say something. You're meant to rise. If you're meant to be the queen, rise and put on your, your royal robes and step up. Because somebody needs what you have to say. You might change the course and the direction of history. But because you're trying to fit into a false idea of femininity, you stay quiet. Mm. 
And then things are undone. We know, studies have shown over and over again, that when women are part of leadership, companies make more money. And actually, there's more ethical leadership, period. Mm. We know this. Mm. And so we can't afford not to participate because of some false notion, this false humility. Because some of us are called to rise. And when you get there, you speak up. I need this to be able to do my best. This is what I often find. You shortchange yourself, right? You don't say I need, so maybe you take a new project and very often, you know, this is the workplace, you know, your podcast is about working, right? Mm -hmm. Very often you see women take more responsibility, more projects, even these kind of promotions that are in name only, but with no real influence and certainly no money, Mm -hmm. but they're spread so thin. And so because they don't get the compensation, they can't get the support they need at home, Mm. right? Because that compensation is supposed to make it easier for you. Mm. So if you think about it, you need, your children need more. Your your spouse needs more. So your household needs more. You need support to make it run. You might need a personal assistant to make it run. But because you are not speaking and saying, no, no, (laughs) that's wonderful. Thank you for the offer. Right. But I need these things to go along with it. I had a client that something similar happened to her and she had gone through the mastermind and she had the courage to say to them, no, I appreciate your, you know, your recognition of the value I bring to the organization. But if you're not willing to put these things down on paper, because they, they were not putting it on paper, right? They were saying it, but no, it should be written down on paper. That's the only thing that matters. Mm. And she was willing to walk away. And it was terrifying for her, right? Mm. And I remember she had reached out to me and said, oh, and I said, listen, I'm proud of you. Trust the process, right? Do you know, she was right, and we have a process. She clarified everything she wanted. You know exactly who you are. You know what you bring to the table. And this is not just airy-fairy, like we talk, you have to have clarity on your mastery, Mm. right? She was a master at her craft. Within like less than a month, she was offered a position for more weight than they were actually trying to like just dash her is what we say in Nigeria. Like someone's trying to say, well, we just want to give it to you. Well, you know, this kind of half-assed, excuse me, Lord, half-assed mm-hmm. <laughs> behavior. But she stood her ground and within less than a month, she received an offer that respected what she brought to the table. Mm. compensated her adequately, gave her the leadership position she needed. And so many other things came out of that. And so we have to begin to have courage and confidence. We didn't create ourselves. So if you have a gift, then you need to offer it. It is meant for you to give to the world and your gift will make room for you. The other thing that the scripture says, a, a laborer is worthy of their wages. So when you're running a business, You're not doing anyone any favors by undercutting your price. Mm. Because when you undercut it, when you undersell it, two things happen. One, you're cheating yourself and you're cheating the business because it can't grow. So many people I meet are out of business because they have not been able to generate the funds they need to do the things that are necessary to keep the business sustainable. Mm. This is my 10th year in business. And I'll tell you, I would not be here if I could not hire a team. 
if I could not afford to pay for branding and marketing, I couldn't grow. And right now I can pay, I pay salaries. So this is not my, my, my child, my um, growing isn't about me. You're paying salaries for people, mm-hmm. right? There's people that are growing because of you. You're bringing business. I have been able to work with women owned businesses, bringing more business to them. I'm participating in an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't, when you undercut yourself, you actually undercut all of that. And the second thing is you undercut the client because a client has to value you in order to fully receive from you. But when you treat yourself like a discount item, it's like when women buy these high end bags, right? Mm. You see a woman and she's carrying a bag that she's paid thousands for the way she carries the bag. You can see my accent has shifted. Let me shift into my jacket. The way she carries the bag, right? Mm. With respect. This is my bag, right? (laughs) The logo. The bag does not sit on the floor. The bag sits mm-hmm. on a fellow chair. Mm-hmm. But when you're carrying a cheap thing, like in her mind, she's thinking about it cheaply. She doesn't think too much about it. It's the same thing with services, products, even our relationships. When you treat yourself cheaply, when you show up cheaply, everything is in alignment with that. They will treat you cheaply. They don't regard you. And they can't receive from you. The advice you gave the person for free, they're like, oh, yeah, thank you. That's nice. They'll go and pay for the same advice. And they will say, wow, that person changed my life. Mm. So the monetization is in getting clarity on who you're meant to serve, what you have to offer. And then here's the kicker being at peace with yourself, being willing to ask for the sale. And that's really that mindset, money mindset. A lot of us have money blocks. We don't even know we had have them. I had them and I still have because you know you rise from the next level to the next level. So I'm constantly doing work to expand my mental capacity to receive more money and to hold more money. Hmm. Mm. I know you're like me, like we're like, hmm, 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 hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, this is the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, so many women I know struggle with this thing of money, conversations about money, conversa- negotiating for your salary, or even when a client or a potential client asks for your costs or a rate card or a quotation it's always accompanied by this anxiety you know of not wanting to appear to be greedy or not wanting to price yourself out of the market or all sorts of things all sorts of fears that we've been hoarding in our in our minds about our value and how negotiable our value actually is I know. I, you know, when you were reading your opening statement, I was just sitting there thinking, wow, that that alone is like church, right? Mm. And that alone is waking us up to the shift. Mm. It's so important that we begin to understand this. One, because women across the world, certainly across the diaspora, the African diaspora, tend to be impoverished. Mm. In general, we have so little wealth we often don't have anything to pass down. Mm. And uh, in a lot of patriarchal societies, you are so dependent on male wealth 
Mm. But that also leads to a lot of imbalanced relationships, right? Mm. And even imbalance in society. But even in good relationships, sometimes you also need to bring something to the table to support. And we really need to shift out of thinking that money is about greed. Because mm. it's not. Uh, if you see, for me, I am in a place where I'm earning more, right? And I have more. But I actually live more simply, and my mind is very different. I'm not, you know, and this is not to knock anyone who is interested in the trappings of wealth. I'm not actually that focused on those things. I'm thinking in terms of legacy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking in terms of growth, like, okay, I want to grow my company to this level. And so I live simply so that I can invest more. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to be part of success stories for this many women. I want to write checks. I want to be, because, you know, women are actually, they're not funded. They struggle to get funding mm-hmm. for their businesses. Mm-hmm. Just think about it, what it would mean for more conscious women to be philanthropists, to be able to fund nonprofit ideas or for-profit ideas. Mm-hmm. I want to be in that position. I never thought about that before. When I was working as a pharmacist, I was very stuck in that programming that a lot of women are stuck in. Oh, you know, I don't want to be, you know, offensive. I don't want people to think I'm this way or the other. And, you know, the truth is there are people who will be offended. Mm. There are people who will say you're just all about money. There are people who will reject you. That's all true, Mm. really. And in fact, there's like a, a, a... a thing that we don't really talk about, but it's very, very real for a lot of women, a fear of what will happen to their relationship when they start making money. Mm. And so often they opt out of greatness mm. because they relationship deep down inside. They know that the masculine that they are connected to will be threatened because a lot of our men have been taught to see their worth purely as providers Mm. right and so when you bring in more money they have been taught also that when women become successful they become emasculating which is not necessarily the truth Mm. when women don't understand who they are they can just like when men sometimes when they don't understand who they are the success can make them crazy Mm. you know success can make anyone crazy i say that adversity refines you success reveals you if you haven't done your work, which is why for me, when I teach and I, I work on wealth and all of those things, right? In the mastermind, we start off doing the inner work before we start thinking about what it will, you know, these things, if you put these strategies in place, you'll be successful. I don't even talk about that until like three months in. I want you to do your inner work because if you don't do your inner work, get that ego under control. When you start making money and you start doing well, when you start like when you start connecting to the possibilities that are really available to you, you will destroy yourself mm. or you'll destroy others. Absolutely. And so it's so important that we, you know, when we do our work, we can be money has its place. And you know what it is, you know, and money is useful. And that's all it is. It's not a value center. And so we need to take away the pride and the shame of it it is what it is so if you don't have money today that's fine no shame get real about it and start getting clear about it what is it you want what do you need what do you need to put in place you need to get your credit together that's fine face it address it there's no shame in it because 
the fact that you don't have money today is really a function of a lack of knowledge and blocks that you may have had. We all have blocks. Once you remove the blocks, things will flow. Mm. Absolutely. I feel like I'm preaching, so let me take a pause. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, one of the one of the biggest blocks that we have, um, and you alluded to it briefly earlier, is around the fear of disappointing people. And so often that fear overrides our instinct to, you know, not betray ourselves. Mm. How can people navigate that conflict? Mm. I think that is really good. You know, often I think we tell ourselves stories. And the stories we tell are not always factual. Mm. Right? So we build up things in our minds that this person will have this uh, experience based on this that I do, right? This person will feel this way, but it's not necessarily true. It's an assumption, right? Mm. So I think it's important to get to the essence of things. When you have a fear of disappointing someone or, you know, whether it's a mom or a spouse or whoever it is, I think it's important to get clear on what really matters to them. So, for example, one of the conversations um, and, and some things that I've taught in the past, the fear of if I start to, whenever, you know, if I start to make money, it will threaten my relationship, for example. Mm. Or if I start to push, you know, become more successful, you know, it will threaten my relationship. And people have said, well, you know, this kind of happened. I had this experience and I got this promotion and he started acting crazy. And so I say, okay, well, first you have to be clear on a couple of things. One, if you're in a toxic situation, this does not apply. Mm. So if you are in a healthy situation and one way you can trust that both of you are seeking for the good of the other, you know, that, you know, there's positive intent. When you can trust that, then there are other things that one can actually look at and say, okay, his behavior are as a result or her, and I'm just using this as an example, right? The person that you think you're going to disappoint Mm. is as a result of their fear, right? And also sometimes their fear of losing something because with every, all growth, there's loss. Mm. So sometimes what you're seeing is a reaction that is grief, They're grieving who you used to be. It doesn't mean that they're not wanting to embrace who you're becoming, but they're going through a process of grief. And the stages of grief are, and, you know, anger is one of them, denial, right? Bargaining. So understand that sometimes what you're seeing is a manifestation of grief. And if you allow the person go through the process without reacting to it, because that's what happens is you react to it and you start saying, oh, you don't want me to succeed, or you shut down and withdraw. But if you can, with compassion, understand that they have to go through a process too, your change is also their change. Mm. And you can begin to be more supportive. The other thing is getting to the essence of what they need from you. Because sometimes it's not about the money or the success. It's that they're concerned that they will not have more time, maybe the time they're concerned about, or you know, they just need to know you still admire them. Mm. They need your admiration. They need, you know, there's certain things that are the essence of it. And as long as they have the assurance that those things will continue, then 
they can't they won't be disappointed because the truth of the matter is people that love us want us to win mm. the only reason why sometimes they manifest in ways that look other than that is fear is at the root of it a lack of understanding and grief sometimes mm. and so when we begin to unpack it because we don't unpack it we just take the whole bag and we say uh -huh, they don't want us to win crabs in a barrel this sort of thing right mm -hmm. but if you unpack it and i'm talking about with people who are healthy because when you're dealing with people who are toxic and to me toxic is not a judgment is a diagnosis toxicity means there's an unresolved wounding unresolved fears this person is unconscious about it and not willing to do the work to grow mm. so if you're in those kinds of situations this is not applied to you because that person may actually not want to succeed period mm. because they are so deeply broken but if you're in a place where the person is doing their work they're you know you're all grown the person really cares sometimes that's what it looks like and so mm. you can unpack your fear by saying, okay, what assumptions have I made? How can I address these things? You know, and how can I plan for what may come? Mm. Now, there's something else since we're on the topic of um, romantic relationships that you mentioned in another one of your Instagram lives. So, Ekene has a lot of Instagram lives. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always so many gems that you drop on there. And... Uh, at the end of the show we'll drop your your ig handle so that people can follow you but there's a, a a quote that you shared there where you said don't prepare for a man prepare for a position oh, mm -hmm. i want to just talk us through that line of thinking yeah so i was talking about the story of esther and the difference between Esther in the Bible and all the other women that were waiting uh, to be chosen. And I felt like Esther prepared to be a queen versus the wife of a king. And that is what I feel like we're called to do. Many of us have been, you know, it's almost truncated, like we've been shrunken to just see ourselves as wives. Mm -hmm. Now, being a wife is a beautiful thing. I'm not knocking being a wife but a wife isn't just oh somebody chose me it mm -hmm. is a ministry it is a call it is a position it's a leadership position and so what we need to be thinking about and when I teach about this and when I talk to my girls and any young person around me or old person quite frankly any single person who's thinking about relationships I always say it's so important to get clear on purpose first because when you prepare for a position what you are thinking about is this man is he a purpose partner because the position of wife with this man is partner pur purpose partner mm. so are we aligned in purpose it's not oh he makes me feel this way and he looks this way and oh my god and did no, no 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 you need to really think about purpose what is your purpose and are you in alignment does my purpose align with his in that way then oh i can be the value I bring is this, and the value he brings is that, and we will have alignment. So that idea that I am not ornamental, and this is one of the things I keep saying, femininity, womanhood is not ornamental. We are not things that are trophies meant to be put on the shelf and brought down every so often to show up to the people, see my wife, no. You are there for a purpose. 
and even, and I often ref reference the Bible because I find that many people in Christendom, the Bible, you know, just like many religions, is often used as a misinterpreted and used as a tool of oppression mm. and subjugation. But if you read it and you really read the stories of women, you will see that God used women in different positions. As they were married, they were married into spaces to do things. You know, we talked about the story of Esther, and so a lot of people know the story of Esther around the fact that she was necessary in that space in order to prevent the annihilation of the Jews, right? So when you read the book of Esther. But if you go a little further, the story of Nehemiah, theologians have suggested because Nehemiah went back to rebuild Israel, the walls. That's what we know. Well, that's one of the things we know about him. But theologians have suggested that actually Esther was the wife of the king at that time. And that's why he had favor with a foreign king to be able to do that. Because even, even in the scripture, it says the king sat and his wife sat by him, which kind of alludes to the influence that she had with him. Mm. So you're in the palace for such a time as this. You're not there to be just the wife. And this is so important because so many women get into this idea of wife and one, they think wife is a validator. And so they don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. They become ornaments and anything that could threaten it. Because you as a wife, you're also there as an accountability tool. You're there to be a woman of influence. You're there to be a person of authority. Sometimes you are the one that will speak a word that will change things. There's, I, want, I wonder if there can come a day that when we see, especially us as Africans, right? And, you know, I've had the privilege of coming to South Africa as well. And, you know, I feel a heart for all of Africa. And we know that one of the things that we suffer from is a lack of ethical leadership. Mm. And I yearn for the day, right? Even though I'm not saying women are going to be in leadership too. They are in leadership and they should continue to be in leadership. We've already talked about that. But for those women that feel a deep calling to the home and to wife, you know, wifedom, awesome. I yearn for the day that people will say, ah, how did this man do this? Does he not have a wife? Mm. Because then it's as if, where was she? She's, she will speak a word and she will shut it down. Mm. If we think about the origin story, Eve had so much influence. We are women of influence. We have impact. And so we have to begin to think critically about what we bring to the table and who is the right partner for that. Mm. Because when you don't understand that, you get with a person, that same quote applies. You get with a person who attempt, attempt to subjugate you, attempt to oppress you, attempt to abuse you, because he does not understand the value that you bring to the table. He doesn't understand the purpose because you don't understand the purpose. So you very clearly have to be preparing. I am the kind of woman that needs to be a purpose partner to this kind of man. So when I even think about the kind of man that I would want to be partnered with, I'm thinking about these things, mm. certain qualities, certain values, certain things, not just, oh, he's cute and all of those things. That will lead you down a road of premium tears. Trust me, I know. <laughs> you need to know. 
Okay, not just cheap tea, it's premium tea. <laughs> Don't we know it? <laughs> Don't we know? Okay, it's so critical. And then we have to, you know, where iron sharpeneth iron. So the position is as iron. So that both of you come out stronger. And generations after you are changed. And this is why I always say it's the enemy of our soul's agenda to keep women in a demoralized, disempowered place. Because as long as they can be there, men are also, dis- it doesn't, they, don't, they don't recognize it, but they're also in a demoralized, disempowered place. Mm. In order for Africa, especially, to be all it's called to be, it's going to take both of us. You know, my dad said something one day that I thought was so profound. And he said, a country that does not recognize and cultivate the value of its woman is like a dog that is trying to run on just two legs. Wow. So deep and so true. Mm. And we know it, that it's so often difficult, firstly, to articulate it, but also the amount of resistance that we get because we, you know, we still live in a world that would much rather suppress and oppress women than actually embrace the innate power that we have and the change that we can bring to our homes, to the world, to the pla- to the to the world of work even, you know. Um, yeah. There's absolutely. so much power that women hold. Absolutely. It is a systemic attack right and I, mm. I keep reminding like as we do this work we can't make men the enemy either mm. right because we're not wrestling with you know the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but of powers and principalities and when i think about that i think of systems mm. these are these are systems that have been put in place to put us at odds mm. systems to keep this to keep this whole group disempowered because if we look, especially for us, when we think about Africa, if we look at our pre-colonial history, many societies were not patriarchal. Mm. Many societies had a much more balanced way of men and women leading. It is with the colonial and all the other things, right, mm. that these shifts started to occur. And whole pieces of things were taken out of our culture. Because if you look at many of our cultures, there were rites of passage. Mm. Men had rites of passage. Women had rites of passage. And this was when that work was done, right? Mm. That you begin to understand what it means to be a man beyond, I'm just going to bring money and I'm going to sleep with women. Mm. And you begin to understand what it means to be a woman beyond, I'm just going to have children and be chosen by a man. Mm. But those things were like, pulled out a culture, right? No longer exist. Mm. And so there's no rite of passage. There's just you get old enough and somehow you're a man and you get old enough and somehow you're a woman, but we don't understand. There's no conversation about it. Mm. It's just a gap in our cultures. There's no understanding about what gender roles really are and what leadership looks like when we work together. There's no conversation about it. We've just allowed all these notions to be imprinted on us and we've taken them and we've run with them and we are all in pain Mm. quite frankly you know when i have the opportunity to talk to men especially young men 
I ask these questions and, you know, I, you know, talk about things like infidelity and things like that. I said, do you realize that this is a way of you self-medicating your pain? You are also unfulfilled. You are also unhappy. I talked about at the beginning of your podcast, how I was an emotional eater, right? So I was trying to eat away my pain, Mm. but there are men who are trying to sex away their pain Mm. and it's normalized in our society. It's normalized. This is what you do. You're a man. <laughs> but really, it's not true. The seeds of destiny inside of you, you are being encouraged to waste them. Mm. Quite figuratively, <laughs> metaphorically, <laughs> all of the above. And then women get embroiled in these, you know, all your these questions and you know I you know talk about things like uh, infidelity and things like that I said do you realize that this is a way of you self-medicating your pain you are also unfulfilled you are also unhappy I talked about at the beginning of your podcast how I was an emotional eater right so I was trying to eat away my pain but there are men who are trying to sex away their pain Mm. and it's normalized in our society it's normalized this is what you do. You're a man. <laughs> but really, it's not true. The seeds of destiny inside of you, you are being encouraged to waste them. Quite figuratively, <laughs> metaphorically, all of the above. And then women get embroiled in these, you know, all your energy goes into dealing with that. And so the whole country, everybody does that, but we're lowered. <laughs> But if we can begin the process of rising, of saying, and this is where I really believe women have an opportunity because I personally believe that the feminine is the thermostat and not the thermometer. We set the temperature. When women say enough, when women say no, when we say things are going to change, things begin to change which is why there's so much resistance. So we can't be afraid of resistance. We come together, we gather. There's so much power when women gather. And so women like yourself who are leading in these ways, changing mindsets, who are stepping up, you're so vital because you're creating a collective shift. And when we begin to come together and shift together, and we shift nations, we shift societies, we shift races, we shift the world. Absolutely. What an amazing way to end off our conversation. Sure. So for people um, who would love to connect with you, check out your lives, um, or even just, you know, see, look for opportunities to collaborate or work with you, where can they find you? So my website is iconicwomanhood.com. That's sort of the best spot. I am on Instagram at iconicwomanhood underscore coach. So if you search iconic womanhood, I should come up. I have a podcast as well called Iconic Womanhood with a Kenner. And um, any of those places you can find me, but uh, one-stop shopping, iconicwomanhood.com. Can I thank you so much for this amazing conversation with me and I look forward to speaking about as we continue to do this work. 
to get women to be heard and seen and respected and included in all the spaces that we're in. I so appreciate you having me on. It has been such a wonderful chat with you. I look forward to hopefully one day meeting you in person because uh, SA is one of my favorite places. Absolutely. We'll definitely make that happen. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.